Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. I just want to pick on Alex for a moment. Not only did he just come back from the retreat, he actually flew in Friday night, late Friday night, he flew in from Boston, got a couple hours of sleep, and then Saturday morning, drove out to Chickaloon at 6 a.m., hung out with the youth all day, and, you know, into the evening, I think he was the, the closing night speaker, and then drove them all back. So it's, it wasn't just the middle school retreat. It's the, you know, yeah, he's been busy. So, uh, um, and we like to do that with people whenever they're busy. We just like to get them when they're weak and ask them to do more stuff. Um, so... Um, wait till you see Pastor Christie come back. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, last week, uh, so I was on Purse of the People, and um, as you guys know, like there were a lot of funerals last week. Um, and on uh, Friday, we had um, this, the service for Dylan uh, Sabic, uh, you know, a young person. And then Saturday, we had this potluck. And so I didn't watch any news. Or read the newspapers just because like I was like ah, I'm already too depressed I'm too sad um, and so you know I came on Sunday and I, I was leading prayers of the people and people have asked me to pray for Israel and and stuff and so in Palestine and of course I did but I didn't know anything that had happened uh, because I wasn't paying attention to the news um, and I think that's good we don't always need to know but we do need to be able to you know, once we do know, like, what do you do? Um, and these things, uh, I think Joel uh, said it very well and, um, when he's praying. You know, we don't know all the answers. We don't know the past forward. Um, but we can pray. And um, so, I, uh, so I I was looking. I, I, I looked. Um, so I think in the newsletter I included a little thing um, from a friend of mine that uh, – that, that works um, in the region um, and, and, and works for um, peace and reconciliation in those areas. Um, but I also found this prayer from uh, World Relief, and I like the prayer. So I thought I'd start with just a moment of prayer. Um, we'll take, um, yeah, we'll take some time and pray. So uh, please join me in prayer. Lord, you said, Peace be still, and the storm was stilled. We confess that at times we feel overwhelmed by the storm, but today we lift our eyes to you, the maker of heaven and earth. We ask for a miracle. Let your peace fill Israel and Gaza. We lift our prayer to you. Lord, hear us. God, let violence cease in the region. Let there be no more bloodshed. We know your heart breaks for those killed and those left behind, for the orphan child, for the injured elderly, for those abducted and families desperate for safety. Lord, speak into this crisis. We lift our prayers to you. Lord, hear us. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. Let your peace and love wash over them. Please protect and provide for them who have been abducted and bring them home safely. Let them be reunited with their loved ones. 
Let them feel the comfort of their embrace. We lift our prayer to you. Lord, hear us. God, we pray that you open doors that allow food and essentials and medical supplies to reach those in needs. May first responders be able to rescue the injured, comfort the grieving, and to help rebuild many lives. We lift our prayers to you. Lord, hear us. God, we pray for your peace and reconciliation to overcome conflict. We ask that you give wisdom and discernment to our global leaders and those in positions of power who have the ability to impact the course of this war. Help us to be bold advocates and agents of peace in our own communities. We lift our prayer to you. Lord, hear us. We pray for people scattered around the globe whose friends and family members have been caught in the crisis. We know you are with them. Help us to express your love to those affected in our communities, churches, and workplaces. We lift our prayer to you. Lord, hear us. Lord, we raise Israel and Gaza to you and pray for those suffering. We ask that you provide peace in this crisis and protection and comfort for all those who have been impacted. We lift our prayer to you. Lord, hear us. Amen. All right. Oh, I'm Chris, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. Now, uh, shortly after I was married, um, you know, I moved into Alyssa's apartment because you know, we were married. And uh, one of the first things we had to do was um, figure out how to actually live together. Um, like, you know, you know, actually be in each other's space. Like, where should we put things? Um, you know, what makes sense? Uh, which way should we put the toilet paper roll? Or, or should we start using the same toothpaste? Because I like the, um, the Aquafresh pump, and, um, which I don't think they make that anymore. But uh, she liked the Crest tube because you could always squeeze out a little bit more. And uh, she won. Um, but she doesn't like to put the cap on the tube. But don't tell her I said that because she'd probably be embarrassed. I'd... Um, but our biggest fight in those days um, were about, was about TV. And even, like, because I always ask Alyssa, like, hey, I'm going to share this story. Is it okay to share the story? And, and uh, she's like, I don't know. It's still a sore subject. Um, but uh, so she, she graciously said I could share. But I wanted a TV. And uh, she didn't. Um, she didn't want to spend the money. So I called my mom. I was like, hey, mom, I want a TV. And uh, boy, that is a rookie mistake. Don't do that when you get married. <laughs> um, she was mad. And, uh, and then there was an argument like, okay, where do we keep the TV? We got the TV now. Where do we put it? Um, you know, she wanted to keep it in the closet. And so we could just like, because it wouldn't be in the like center of the space, you know, because, you know, living rooms are kind of structured around the TV. So we wouldn't always be staring at it, right? And so whenever we wanted to watch TV, we'd dig it out of the closet and set it up and then there it would be. And I was like, Alyssa worked nights, and so like three nights a week I was at home alone anyways. And I was like, no, no, I want it like just there. I don't want to take it out every time. Um, and because she worked nights, um, you know, eventually I won. But, you know, like many arguments, it really wasn't just about TV, right? It was about um, making the space that we live in reflect our identity and, and our values. And so we had to negotiate, like, well, what does a TV say about us, that we have our TV in a, in a primary place in the house? Um, and, uh, you know, 
I told Alyssa, I was like, hey, hey, I'm going to share this story. Um, and, uh, you know, because I wanted to talk about how it affected our space. And she's like, it still affects us. And I was like, okay, okay. Um, so, um, right, but it does, right? Like, we still have to talk now about, okay, well, how much screen time should our kids have? And um, what should they be allowed to watch? And uh, how do you protect the younger kids while letting the older kids have more freedom? And, um, and we would have had all those conversations anyways. But that conversation started and was framed by the decisions that we made 16 years ago when we first put that into our lives. Um, the, the way your space is structured, it reflects who you are, right? Are, are, are you austere, like, you know, clean walls? Like, I could have nothing on my walls. It doesn't even bother me. I'm like, well, I'm not staring at my walls anyways. Why would I bother decorating it? But um, so uh, my, my dad used to tease me. He's like, well, it's like you live like a monk because I just, I don't care about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, or the artsy, you know? Um, I, I love art, but... Uh, but I, I'm, I don't really like to go spend money on it. I like to go to museums and look at it. But are you going to hang up stuff? Are you artsy? Are you, are you cluttered? I am cluttery. Are you utilitarian? Are you spotless and tidy? Are you high tech? You know, the latest gadgets, you know, the best around sound and stuff? Are you surrounded by plants? Um, so all those things kind of tell us some clues about who you are and, and what's important to you. And today, we're going to be going over the construction of the tabernacle. And as uh, Curtis said, that, that, that's like a fancy word for dwelling, a fancy word for a living structure. Um, and we're going to talk about the construction of the tabernacle and the ark. The, the ark is just a, a box or a chest um, and all the things associated with that. And these instructions are given to Moses as he prepared for his people to leave Mount Sinai, right? Because at the mountain, the people could see the power of God. Um, in Exodus 24, 17, it said, the Israelites, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain, right? So they're going to be like, leaving this consuming fire. They're like, well, you know, it's kind of a, a okay, well, you know, God's there. Why are we going there? Because um, they had a clear image of the glory of God. But that image wasn't the end of the journey, right? They were called to keep moving. And, and God, in his mercy and his grace, he gave special instructions on how to build a space that would reflect his glory to the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness. And he gave them special instructions um, about things and how to build them. And he gave them instructions about time that would reflect the rhythms of um, a new life with God. And, and this portion of scripture that we're going to be looking at, it's, it's huge. Um, and so we're not going to read it all. We're not going to get into all the technical details um, with the exact measurements used, the materials required to make things. I mean, it gets down to even like which artisans um, should be in charge of which building and making which parts. Um, and those details, they, they kind of seem tedious. And, and, and sometimes they kind of are. But they show God at work in his creation, right? Because God is, God is involved in every aspect of creation, and it reflects how God is recreating the Israelites. Right, as his people in his world with him, right? And, and so, so those details are really cool, like once you kind of like start framing it that way, but you gotta spend the time to kind of unpack that. And it's, it's a lot of time. And um, more than you know, the 25 minutes or so that I try to preach on a Sunday. And, um, and also, there's a chunk in the middle we're not gonna talk about um, this week. We'll talk about it next week. And that's the story of the golden calf. Um,
But this week we're going to go over chapters 25 through 31, which lay out all of the instructions, and then 35 through 39, which lay out all the instructions again. That's how important it is. It says it all again, um, but this time they're like actually they're repeating it as they're actually building it. Um, so, with all that, uh, let's start with um, Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Goat hair. Ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood. Olive oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incenses. And onyx stones and other gems are to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Okay, so the, I, I want you to notice this. The first thing that, that God, God is asking for is an offering. Um, God doesn't, isn't making a demand, right? Instead, the gifts are supposed to be from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Um, now, God doesn't need our stuff, right? Everything already belongs to God. But it was a blessing to be able to contribute um, to participate in the work of God. And, and look at what that work was. The work was to construct a place, a dwelling place, for God to be among them, right? Their work, their giving, was to make something that was going to bless them, okay? Because God had a redemptive plan, a plan to bless people. And it started with the Israelites. To have God dwell among them is a great honor. It distinguished them amongst all the peoples of the earth. And, and they'd already seen the great power of God overthrowing the Egyptians, creating water and creating water and food for them in the wastelands of the desert. They should want God to be with them. God doesn't get anything out of this deal. But God still invites them to participate in his presence amongst them. And so when we get all these instructions on how the ark is to be constructed and how the tabernacle is to be laid out and how the priestly clothes are to be made, um, and, and my encouragement, as I've been saying, um, we can't go over everything in Exodus. Read Exodus. Read some of these portions that we're not going to go over this week. It's good. It, it tells us something about who God is and how he does it. But when God lays out the tabernacle and, and the priestly clothes, what the priests should be wearing, God is laying out a new way for God, for God's self, to be involved with his people, okay? It, it's taking a bit of the world and, and making it like anew, right? It's an act of recreating to demonstrate what is it like for you guys to live with God and his people. And this is gonna carry over later in the construction of the temple. Now, I'm gonna skip over a few chapters to chapter 28. Because God gave the specifications for the ark, for the altar, for the tabernacle, and, and the whole structure, for the lamps, even the lamps that light up the place. And, but in chapter 28, it kind of goes into clothing. Like, okay, now these are the clothes that Aaron and his descendants are to wear. And if you remember from earlier chapters, um, they're going to be the priests. They're going to be the priests for the Israelites. But, and it goes into clothing, because the clothing is important. And, and this might sound silly, but this is still a conversation we have today, right? I mean, just a few weeks ago, 
just a few weeks ago. Do you guys remember if you were following the news, um, there was a huge dust up in the Senate because the majority leader decided not to enforce like an unwritten dress code. And then there were lots of discussions about what clothes means and what does it say about people and society. And in the end, like they ended up having to, they, they made the dress code official. Okay, now there's now a dress code for the Senate. <laughs> okay, they're still talking about it. Like what you wear matters, when you wear it, how you wear it. Um, and, you know, that's good because really, okay, I'm a very casual person. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I'm not a person that naturally dresses up. Um, but to be told, like, okay, at this situation, wear this. Mostly I'm like, because if left to my own devices, I would be up here in pajamas every day, <laughs> you know? Um, but to be told, like, no, no, this is important. Um, I loved it. What well, one? So um, Mary made this cuss book, and uh, Mary Smith is back there today. She made this cuss book for me, and you guys gave it to me um, last year. And so I wear it every Sunday because I'm like, oh, I have a uniform now. I don't have to think about it because I don't, one, I don't want to think about it, and I want to honor you know, the gifts and participate. Anyways, sidetracked. Um, what you wear matters. And so when we read about Aaron's garments, we should keep in mind the importance of what we wear. And so, so whenever we're reading on this, I want to focus on uh, verses 29 and 30. And this is, uh, I think she said, chapter 28. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the son of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continual memorial before the Lord. And also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Do you hear that? Like, over his heart, that's where Aaron should have the names of the sons of Israel, of the tribes. God wants his people's names written on the heart of his representative. And so whenever God's priest comes into God's presence, God would see the names of his people written there. Right? That is love. Right? That is love. God wanted his people to know that he would never forget them. He wrote the names on his priest's heart. And that's how precious the people of God are to the Lord. That's the nature and the character of God, the God that we worship here today. Right? He doesn't want to forget. He chose to have it emblazed on his priestly representatives so that his people will always know his love. So his love will always be written on the heart. And he had the Urim and Thummim placed on the priest's heart. Okay. Nobody knows exactly what those are. Like some are like, they're special holy coins. You can flip them for yes or no, you know, or something, or like dice. Um, there's some sort of decision-making tool to help determine God's will. Nobody knows exactly what they are. We know what they were used for to help determine God's will, but what they were, how they worked, nobody knows that. But they're also to be held over the priest's heart. Okay, now um, something to note. You know, in the Western world, um, we think as the heart as like the seat of the emotion. Right? I love you with all of my heart, or you make my heart beat too fast, you know? Um, but to the Israelites, the heart's considered like, like the source of self. The, you know, the heart isn't your emotions. It, I mean, the emotions are part of it, but it's your source of self. Like, right? It's the place of all of your inner thoughts and your inner will. And so having the names of the Israelites over the priest's hearts, having the Urim and Thurim over the heart, it's like saying, like, my identity is tied with you, Right? My innermost self, like you're there with me. 
okay? My decisions are made with you in mind, right? My thoughts are bent towards you, right? That's, that's how the priestly represented. That's how God's priest is supposed to enter to see God, to see the Holy of Holies, right? With all of the focus, right, on his heart. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. And God changed the way that the Israelites, he changed that the way they experienced time. Oh, sorry, I lost my place. But God changed the way the Israelites experienced place, right? He made the tabernacle. Okay, this is my holy place amongst you. And he changed the way that the Israelites experienced self by placing them on his heart. God also changed the way the Israelites experienced time. Moving over to Exodus 31. Uh, verse, starting at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from the people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. In the six, forward six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he was rested and refreshed. refreshed. Okay. Like the construction of the tabernacle, like the garments, um, right? That these things like reflect God's reordering of creation. The Sabbath reflects God's reordering of time. Right? The way Israel keeps time is to be reordered, reordered to reflect God's rhythms. Right? Um, in other passages, like uh, scripture, like Deuteronomy, um, these rhythms of having a rest is linked to Israel's years of slavery in Egypt. But in Exodus, God tells us that resting on the seventh day was established and God created the universe. Right? So God created a rhythm. Of, of work and the rhythm of rest. And so Israel's called to structure their lives to submit to the rest, trusting that God will provide even when they were not working, right? Trusting that God will keep them safe, even though they're surrounded by their enemies. Trusting that time with God is more important than their food, than their drink, than their wealth, than their safety, right? That time with God is more important than all of those things. And then this pattern of time will be woven into the ways that Israel um, ends up structuring their society and they structure debt and service and land and who, who owns what and how they should do that. It becomes woven into the very fabric of that. And so how did the Israelites receive all of these things? Right? God, God gave them all of these instructions. How did they receive the word of the Lord with all of its particularities? This is Exodus uh, 35. I'm skipping ahead now, uh, starting at verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of the, for the work on the tent of meeting, for all of its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold and jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering up to the Lord. 
everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, or ram skins dyed red, or other durable leather goods brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn and fine linen. And the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. They also brought spices and olive oils for the lights and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite women and men, sorry, men and women who brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work through, through Moses, for all the work of the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. The people, the people, they, people they gave, right? They gave all they had. They gave above and beyond. They gave so much that in Exodus uh, 36, it says, um, this is 6 and 7, then Moses gave an order and sent this word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had was already more than enough to do all the work. They gave more than what Moses knew how to do with, deal with, right? He had to tell them to stop giving, that it was enough. And church, when's the last time you've heard that message, right, from the pulpit? Um, actually, we're good, so uh, no more offerings, please. Uh, we, we, you've given all, the, all that you can. We can do everything that we've been called to do. But the people's hearts were stirred, and they wanted to respond to the grace of God, to the power of God, to the ways that they've seen God work. That's the response. Right? That's, that's how we respond. And I just want to throw out, like, um, this is a side note. You guys have been very generous. Like, we showed you Madagascar. Um, I think we said that we had um, $6,800 is, like, their dreams for the year. Like, if they had our dream budget, $6,800. Whew. They could do something for the year. Um, and you guys have provided that. Beyond that, we're still receiving money from Madagascar. Um, so, and it's awesome. It's good. And, um, you know, so that's not the only great place to serve, you know. We got the Walter and Minnie Ganungan uh, pastor, Village Pastors Fund uh, because village pastors have to raise their support because there's not enough money in the villages villages for the pastors. Um, but the, So there's places to give. You can go to the kayak website to do that. Or not the kayak, sorry, the conference website uh, to give to that fund uh, for village pastors. Um, there's Bible Camp. Um, there's Anchorage Rescue Missions. There's so many different places to give. There's so many good organizations doing good things, right? And I know that you guys are generous people. You guys respond to the prompting of the hearts, to the grace that God's given you. So I just want to encourage you. Good job. Keep it up. So give where your heart leads. Give generously. I mean, yes, you know, give to the church. I always got to say that too, like, because um, you know we have we have bills too. But there's all these other great places too. Okay, there's more than enough for everything. Um, okay, I, I want to close by just taking a minute or two to connect these uh, three acts of recreation um, to us. And more importantly, uh, to Jesus. And as far as the tabernacle, where God dwelt among his people, um, this is eventually moved into the temple, which becomes a more permanent tabernacle, you know, one that doesn't move around. But eventually the tabernacle becomes embodied in Jesus. And uh, Curtis shared this um, earlier. Here. The Gospel of John said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's John 1.14, or the first half of that verse. 
Okay, it just as easily could have said dwelling, right? Tabernacle means dwelling. So another way that it could be translated is the word became flesh and it tabernacled amongst us, right? It dwelt amongst us. And, and, and likewise, Jesus becomes our high priest, right? Like Aaron. And, and, and the whole book of Hebrews really reflects that Jesus is the eternal high priest. It's, it's a great book. We're going to go over it someday. I don't know when. Um, but, and he is interceding on our behalf before God. Hebrews 4.14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Yeah, that's, that's later. Um, Jesus is our high priest. Right? He carries our names on his heart before the Father, interceding for us, bringing us before God. And Jesus is our eternal Sabbath rest, embodying time and the order of God's creation. Right? Matthew 28, or sorry, Matthew 12, 8, not 28, 12, 8, right? The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? It is in him we find peace. It is him we find structure. It's in him that we find rest. It's in him that we can find purpose for our work. Right? And it's in him that we find purpose for our rest. Right? He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is our temple, our priest, our holy time. Um, he becomes the true way that leads all of creation to the Father. Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by living, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed pure with pure water. Israel was honored above all the nations by having God dwell amongst them. But we're given an even greater honor. We're given an even greater honor. But we get to be the body of Christ. Right? We get to be part of God's holy temple into which Christ is the cornerstone. Right? We participate in the complete rest of Jesus. we are able to come into God's full presence. Right? In the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is given unto us, right? To lives in us. And church, we who follow Jesus are blessed beyond all measure, right? And like every priest, like every priest, we bring to God the names of those that need his mercy and grace. Right? We pray for those that need his mercy and grace. And we petition for justice. We petition for peace. We ask for guidance. We ask for deliverance, knowing that God is able, right? Even in the mess of this broken world, we know that God is able. And that one day, all of heavens and earth will be fully reconciled. And not only will God dwell with us, but we will also dwell with him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are our tabernacle. Lord, you are our high priest. Lord, you are our Sabbath rest. Lord, teach us to dwell with you. Lord, teach us to follow your rhythms. Lord, to, to, to act as your priests. Teach us to live like you're here with us. And give us hearts to respond to the grace that you so lavishly poured out on us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.